Good morning, church. Today I'm going to talk about heaven because I have not met anyone who's been there and come back. So I don't get a first-hand account of what's up there. So this morning I'm going to, I've decided I would indulge in a little bit of a sanctified imagination. And I hope that all of you will join me. And um, hopefully we would have the right, imagine the right thing about heaven. Story was told that an elder arrives at the gate of heaven and he sees Peter there at the gate welcoming him. And Peter asked this elder, could you please do him a favor, help him to, to welcome others in uh, while he goes away to run an errand? Happy to help. So the elder asked Peter, what should I say to them? Oh, Peter said, just ask them a question to make sure they understand the Bible. And he leaves. The next person to arrive is a Baptist deacon. The elder asked him, who led Israel out of Egypt? Moses, the deacon replied. Good, come on in. Next to arrive is an Anglican vicar. The elder asked her, who are Jesus' three favorite disciples? Oh, Peter, John, James. Good. Come into. Next to arrive, it's a Pope. Surprised to see him there. The elder wondered if God has made a mistake. But Peter wasn't around. Peter wasn't back yet. He, could, he couldn't ask him. So, so he decided to ask the Pope, do you know the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000? The Pope replies, of course. Give me all their names. <laughs> Thank God. It would not be this elder standing at the gate in heaven deciding who is going to heaven. Well, we are assured of a place in heaven simply based on our faith in Jesus and what he has done on the cross. Some of you may be familiar with this old Sunday school chorus. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. (laughs) Now, I don't think any of you here would disagree with the lyrics of this chorus. Really, who doesn't want to go to heaven where Jesus will be there and we can be with him? There's only one problem. Guess what the problem is? We have to first die to get there. When my mom died 30 years ago, I was away working in Taiwan. One of my brothers called to let me know this. After hanging up, I stood in my living room, dazed and confused. It took me a minute or two before the thought of never seeing my mother alive again began to sink into me. Overcome with grief, 
I burst out in tears and wept bitterly. It says in Psalm 116 that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You see, my mom is not just precious to me. She is even more precious to God our Father. She had stage 4 cancer. And I prayed God to either heal her completely or to take her away quickly. And God heard my prayer. Mom suffered for really only a week. And there is nothing unchristian about grieving when we lose a loved one. I mean, this morning we were worshiping, and then one of our band member, team member, just found out her childhood friend has been murdered. she grieves and we grieve with her too and Jesus also wept for Lazarus but Paul explained in 1st Thessalonians that there is a big difference between those who know the Lord and those who don't he says brothers and sisters We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve. He's not saying you don't grieve, but you you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. What Paul is saying here is that while we also grieve like those who... But we don't grieve like those who know that this is the end. For we can take comfort in knowing that Our loved ones are in a better place, set free from the pain and suffering, tormenting them before they left. In the passage in John 14 that we just read, the disciples are also sad that Jesus is leaving them. He used to take them everywhere. But now he tells them very clearly he's leaving. And they cannot come. But he urges them to be troubled, not to be troubled, by telling them to believe he is God. He also tells them where he's going to his father. And he further tells them why he is going. The reason for going is to prepare a place for them. And while they may not go with him now, they will join him later. That's his promise. And he promised that he will return one day to gather his own. And finally, he reminds them something they already knew, that he is the only way to the Father. And no one can go to the Father except 
through him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. These words are left in the Bible to encourage us also not to be totally and completely consumed by the grief of losing our loved ones. Now Jesus has promised to all of us that all those who belong to him will one day be with him in heaven after the life on earth is over. Have you wondered what it is like up there in heaven? Will the sun shine 24 hours a day? Will it always always be so warm like this? What language will they speak? Will the meal serve be Czech, Indian or Chinese? Since no one gets sick in heaven, what do unemployed people like my wife do in heaven? (laughs) Will we walk? Will we fly like Superman? Will pets be allowed? I'm just randomly throwing out some question to stimulate your imagination. And we will be doing a bit of imagination today. Now, if we are to address all these questions, you may have to cancel lunch plan and forget about afternoon nap. But I will spare you that by just covering a few of these questions. First question. How will I look? <clears throat> will I look completely different? Or will I look that the last me lying in that coffin? Now, if that's the case, then one item, I'm sorry I threw it away. I didn't expect I would need it. <laughs> one item of great demand in heaven is, guess what it is? Walking sticks. Heaven will look like a massive retirement community. (laughs) So, if we follow the same logic, another item of great demand in heaven, I borrowed this from Eliza's son. (laughs) That's because most Theologians would agree that unborn children who die from miscarriages and abortions will go to heaven. Now, if that is correct, then there must be lots of babies crawling around in heaven. Oh, thank God. Heaven would not be full of old people and babies. I don't know exactly. 
but our heavenly body will look a bit different from our earthly one. In Revelation 2 tells us that we will receive a new name and a new identity. All deformities, defects, illnesses, blemishes will be no more. Hallelujah. And that extra fat on your side that you've been trying for years to get rid of will be gone. But I'm not sure of how things exactly are in heaven. I do believe that all our glorified bodies, that's all of us, okay, who are going, all will be beautiful and perfect. No one will be prettier or better looking than another. So if we run a beauty pageant in heaven, everyone wins. Well, the second question is a little darker. And I'm going to deal with the issue of Christian suicide. Reality is, Christians also suffer from depression. And if you happen to be one, I beg you, I beg you, not to ignore it or let it consume you. Talk to somebody you trust. Come to see the elders and we can pray for you. God put us into community to support each other. There is no shame to admit that you need help. Seek professional help if you have to. And until Mike comes, all the elders and many of us will be ready to pray with you and to support you. Unfortunately, depression do sometimes lead to suicide. So my question is, will Christians who have taken their life go to heaven? Who thinks they will? Who thinks they won't? Who do not know? There are biblical principles that we may apply here. Now, Jesus says in Mark 3 that only the sin of blasphemy is not forgivable. Now, since suicide is not blasphemy, then surely God can forgive a believer who took his own life and before he crashes to the ground, say, God, forgive me. But before some of you even harbor the thought of thinking that this is a quick and expedient way of getting to heaven, a shortcut going to heaven without having to endure often the pain that is associated with dying, let me now engage you in some sanctified imagination. 
together. Imagine after killing himself, a Christian arrives in heaven. At the gate, he joins a line of believers waiting to be admitted. Now he sees Jesus standing there, handing out keys of beautiful mansions in heaven. To an old pastor, he gives this. To a sweet old lady who had faithfully prayed for missionaries and needy ones in the church, he gives this. Now, this person is getting excited. He cannot help but wonder, hmm, nice. Maybe I will get one with a swimming pool. To his great surprise, Jesus picked up this tent bag and hands it to him. Here, take this. Go find an open spot somewhere in heaven and set it up. Make yourself comfortable inside. Bewildered that he did not receive a mention like the others. He turned to the Lord and asked, Lord, I have already repented for my sin of killing myself. Are you now punishing me? Jesus looks lovingly into his eyes and said, Son, I have already forgiven you. See, he pointed to an incomplete mansion. That is for you. I just did not expect you so soon. The next question Beautiful lie. I stop doing it now. But one of the things I used to say to people, friends of mine, who have lost their loved ones is you will see him or her again. I'm sure some of you have done it also. No doubt it was well intended to offer our condolence and to try to lighten their grief. The implication of saying this is that this person would see his loved one in heaven in the same way they had related on earth as a spouse, as a son or daughter, a sibling or friend. This is a most beautiful lie. In Matthew 22, the Sadducees 
comes to Jesus with a trick question. They presented a case of a woman who has married seven brothers consecutively, not together. Yeah? One would die and she would marry the next until she eventually married all seven of them. And all of them died. Now this woman may be the proverbial black widow. Everyone she marries dies. The Sadducee then asked Jesus, well, it had to be quick. <laughs> Sadducee then asked Jesus, whose wife would she be in heaven? Now from Jesus' reply, we can gain some insight into the way people relate in heaven. He says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry or be given away in marriage. Now Jesus is not saying that heaven is one big monastery or nunnery where marriage is banned. No, he's not saying that. For he goes on immediately to say, they will be like, that means the people, will be like angels. Now, we all know that angels are spiritual beings with no blood relationship with one another. Now, if people will be like angels, we will not carry our human relationship into heaven. Church, out of love and compassion, you should never say this to anyone who has just lost somebody dear. I remind all of you, just because you realize this doesn't give you the right to do that. It's been unloving and unkind. But this explains why Christian widows and widowers may remarry. It's quite clear, isn't it? Maybe I'm not telling you something new. Of course, an end to our relationship, earthly relationship, does not take away our memory of that person. There will be photos, videos, special objects that may remind us of the departed one. And they might mean a lot to us. This is a quilt that my mom made. It's 30 years. It's in my living room. In the winter, we use it to warm our feet at the sofa. Reminds us, reminds me of my dear mom who never threw anything away. Oh, this is a scrap of cloth that she picks up. Quilt. So, but no new chapters will be written. Everything will be in the past tense. 
I still miss my mom. Yeah, when I talk about it now, I do miss her. But I will see her in heaven. She will give me a big hug. And then she will turn to the next person and give that person the same hug. I will just be another saint to her. And she to me. What I have just said may make some of you sad. You know what? You don't have to be. Now that you realize this, you will want to make an extra effort from now on to treasure the loved ones who are still with you. Do regularly visit and connect with your parents who may be living alone by themselves. Husbands, don't be preoccupied only with building your own career and neglect to woo your wife. Take her out for dates. Wives, don't channel all your emotions to your children and ignore the needs of your husbands. Parents, seize every opportunity to hug your children and tell them how much you love them. Cherish the friendship and fellowship God has given you in church and in your small groups. Remember this. Human relationships, as we know it, will only remain on this side of eternity. It will not cross with us to the other side. Heaven is not only a wonderful place, it is also a very different place. While we may not be able to see heaven with the naked eye, now it is not the fantasy place in our imagination. Heaven is real. God did not just create the earth. Right? In the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, with our limited human mind, we may never fully understand heaven. But there's one thing we do know and we can be sure of. God will always be our gracious and heavenly Father. 
that will remain for all eternity. They are lavish mansions, glittering crowns, and beautiful robes in heaven, waiting for those who love God. But what makes heaven ultimately so awesome is that it is the dwelling place of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. My next question is, is everyone equal in heaven? It says in Second Timothy 4, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me this crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Notice he used the word judge. Okay? I will come back to that later. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Again, let's put on our imagine, uh, sanctified imagination hat again. Imagine on the last day, I like to, we spend a lot of time at the, at the gate you know, of heaven, at the gate, a long line waiting to receive this crown of righteousness. You see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Ruth, Esther, Samuel, Elijah, David, and all many of the other Old Testament prophets. And you see also, Mary, Joseph, John the Baptist, the disciples, Paul, plus thousands upon thousands of saints whose names we do not know, who had been faithful to the faith and had been martyred because of that. Now, they all wait patiently for their turn to receive the crown. Now, if indeed heaven is equal in heaven, then by right, you and I may also join the line to receive a crown. Please, you first. You first. Now, maybe you think Job has gone off kilter here, and there's no biblical basis to support the idea that not everyone will be treated the same in heaven. Let's see what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians 3. It's a passage that most of us are familiar with. I'm going to ask you to read it a little carefully and consider some of the words, some of the phrases. Paul says, But the grace of God has given me. I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. And this someone else is referring to other Christians, other workers, right? Now, each one, but he warned them, each one should be careful 
how we build. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, this is one type of building material you find in Hornbach. Good materials, okay? The other materials you can find there too, Hornbach, but they are cheaper materials. Wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is. Because on that day, that day which is when the Lord comes, everything will be bring, brought to light. And it will be revealed. That means tested with fire. And the fire will test the quality of every person's work. Now if what has been built survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. Now if it is burnt up, the other builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, I hope it is clear here. What Paul is talking, all those people involved here are believers, are Christians. After we have made a confession of faith, we don't just sit back to relax and wait for Jesus to come back. We are also told to work. And there are several parables Jesus has given about it, about the rich ruler who went away and left behind treasures for the servants to work, and they have to work on it. And they have to be found faithful and good. Now, we are told also to work and serve God and his people with our talents and abilities. Now, if I don't have those wonderful tech people out there, to fit all this thing, you will not hear me. I mean, I have two headsets just now while I was playing at the worship band. Uh, I, I get a bit lost. But thank God we have these tech people and Alex who helped me out last night to sort out the PowerPoints. So we need each other. Now, Paul likens us as workers building a house. Uh, he clearly warns us to make sure we are careful to use the right material to build the house. The house that we are building. Now, he, you know, he likened it, our work as a building a house. Now, now if what we, we may use quality materials like gold, silver, and precious stones, or we may use poor materials like wood, hay, and stubble, and straws. Now, when Jesus comes again, and, and I don't know when he's coming, and nobody does, he, one thing he will do will be to test the quality of our work by putting it through fire. Now, those who build with good material will survive the fire. And these people will get a reward. Job didn't say it. It's in the Bible. And others who built with poor material will have the work burnt up. And they will suffer loss and receive no reward. I want to be clear here. This has nothing to do with salvation. We are saved by grace and grace alone, not by any works that we can do. 
lazy Christians who do not serve, or those who are careless or unfaithful in the way they serve, they will also go to heaven. Paul makes it very clear in verse 15. These people will also be saved. Be saved. However, they will get no reward. Now, church, I don't know what specific reward God will hand out in heaven. But it seems pretty clear to me not everyone will be getting it. And in case you don't understand this, Paul goes on to further drive home the point to describe how these Christians will go to heaven. The builder will be saved. But what, how will he be saved? As if one escaping to the fire. Now we have read in the various parts of the Bible with the Lord and also in Revelation that I describe heaven like a big banquet where everyone attending the banquet will be dressed in the very best. I've taken the Nobel Prize feast, sorry, in Oslo. It looks pretty good. <laughs> if I correctly understand what Paul says here, there will be some arriving at this heavenly banquet dressed like this, these firemen. <laughs> now, granted, they are also invited to the banquet, but they arrived inappropriately dressed. But all the others are in the smart tuxedos and evening gowns. You may not be too surprised to hear me say that not all Christians is excited about heaven. Of course, no one is crazy enough to consider, to consider the alternative, which is hell. They all want to go to heaven one day, but just not so soon. Uh, there are several different reasons, but one of the main reasons is life is good. Life is good here. These past 50 years have seen an unprecedented expansion of wealth. In one single generation, <clears throat> millions, I say billions, have been lifted out of poverty to the middle class. They include many Christians. As a child, home for my whole family of nine people was one single room with no electricity and running water. Some of you are nodding their heads. 
Maybe you had the same experience too. Life was hard for my parents who had who were struggling to raise seven of us. And on several occasions I had overheard my mum sigh and say, I wish Jesus will come soon. If my mother still lives today, I wonder if she will still maintain the same degree of yearning. Friends, is your life now so comfortable and good that heaven is losing some of its appeals? The next area that might make Christians not too excited about going to heaven is spiritual strongholds. Some Christians live with glaring gaps in their spiritual life. If you're one of them, you know. And some will call these spiritual strongholds. Now, they are deep-seated sinful behaviors or habits that they are unable to or unwilling to give up. And if you are one of those, please do come to talk to us. See the elders. Talk to some of us. And we can help pray with you. We may not be able to help you, but we can pray with you. And God can help you to deliver you from these bondages. What are some of these things? It may be an explosive temper. It may be substance abuse, which may be food, alcohol, or medicines. It may be addiction to pornography or compulsive gambling. And the gamblers even have their version of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, but not before I strike the European lottery. And there are Christians who lead a double life. One that everyone sees, and another that even their spouse do not know. These people do not too much look forward to heaven. Because they will have to stop what they are doing. And they know they will also have to give an account for their life. So in closing, I have two questions for you. How keen are you about heaven? Does it have the same appeal to you as my mother once had? 
Do you really want Jesus to return today? Or do you want to say, God, wait, I need to make some adjustment to my life before you come. I need to set aside some other things before you come. Is life so good here that you don't mind staying a bit longer? This world is not our home. As pilgrims passing through, let us try, me included, let us try not to carry too much excess baggage with us. When we leave, we will have to leave everything behind. Cory Ten Boon says, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise it might hurt when God prize your fingers open. How ready are you for the fire test? Some theologians will call this the second judgment. After the sheep has been separated from the goats, the believing from the unbelieving, believers will be judged. Remember the passage from Timothy that I read to you earlier? Paul refers to God as the judge. They will be judged for their work. And the instrument of testing will be fire. Whatever you are engaging in, and I'm so glad this uh, brother, new visitor with us, brother, Huan Ying, Huan Ying, that you are here. He already volunteered, you know, to sign up on the rota. I'm so glad that he's so desired to serve. Do something. Yeah, Matsona did a wonderful job of trying to mobilize you to fill up the rota. So, but we all do, do our part. Matsona doesn't have to do that. So do that, do so. Rota is out there. Try to see if you can fill up some of the, some of the empty slots. And to those who are serving in some capacity, either in this church or somewhere, anywhere else, if you're serving, what material are you using to serve? Are you putting in the best? Are you using quality material? Or are you using mediocre, substandard stuff? Let's be honest. Every one of us, me included, we will have our pile of wood, hay and straw. The question is, after this are burnt up, will the Lord find some little pile of gold, silver and precious stone underneath How ready are you for heaven? 
If you were to die tonight, are you sure that you will get there? And if some of you are not sure, come and talk to me or to one of the elders. I'm sorry, I don't see any elders here. So I'm the only one. So I'm sure Mastona, my wife, you know, some of us will be able to help you, yeah? Yeah. Come and talk to us, and we can help you be sure. Don't wait. Jesus promised he will come back again, and I don't know when. And once he returns, it will be too late.